rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. So bring your mama, she'll like it too. Welcome back to another episode of Movie Matchup The Pretension. If this is the first time you've heard us, welcome. Hope you enjoy the show. If uh, this is the second or third time you've listened to us, welcome back. We're, we're happy to see you again. My name's Troy, and with me, as always, is Mr. Brad Anderson. How are you doing tonight, Brad? I'm doing wonderful. I'm podcasting and watching World Series Baseball. How are they doing so far? That was a great game last night, man. It was, actually, but I'm neither a Rangers or a Cardinals fan, but I like baseball, so I will watch regardless. I like uh, Yadier Molina, so uh, I'm going to have to root for the Cardinals then. Yes. Well, Well, hey, but this is an episode about movies, so we're going to put the baseball talk on hold. Um, You know, Brad, this has been an interesting spooktober, I would think, with all the movies that we've had to watch so far. Would, Would you agree with that? It's been interesting, yes. This okay. week, um, probably the most interesting. Sure. So, you know, just a quick little recap. The the first week, we, we got some uh, French horror and Japanese horror and, uh, um, I don't know, some extreme cinema with Inside and Audition. After that, we went to German Expressionism, silent film uh, with Nosferatu, and then watched a film about Nosferatu. Uh, this week is... Shadow e- of the Vampire. Shadow of the Vampire, right. Um, this week's even a little bit more... I would say off the beaten path because we are going to probably talk about two films that they, they fall in the horror genre, but they come from directors who are, um, very unique in their presentation and style. And I, and I would say that these two movies really push the boundaries of traditional storytelling. Would you agree? Brad? Yeah, I was going to say alternate title for this episode is I Thought Troy Was My Friend. <laughs> okay. And I, I did uh, I did pick uh, – whereas Brad picked um, last week with uh, Nosferatu and Shadow of the Vampire, this is the week that I put these two together because um, the movies we're going to talk about this week is Dario Argento's Inferno from 1980 and uh, a little film from Japan from 1977 called Hazu or House – um, what's unique about these films is um, they are trying for something pretentious, very pretentious, I guess is what you would say. They're, they're There's supposed the effort. To... The effort is there, yes. Sure, and um, I, I I like talking about films like this because when you have a director or screenwriter who is really going for this grand vision or something, you know, very cinematic, but to have all of this meaning and depth behind it, um, they can either be extremely challenging, they can just be great big mushroom clouds of crappiness, um, or they could uh, really open your eyes to different types of cinema. But to tackle something so heady, we had to really reach out and uh, find a third party 
um, to really discuss these films that um, might be an expert in film altogether. I mean, let's face it, Brad, you do not have a degree in film, do you? Uh, I do not. No, I, I, I don't either. So what we did is we put a phone call out to the sunny state of California, and we actually got somebody from Long Beach State in California who has a film and electronics art degree with a concentration in writing. He works for Technicolor, and uh, I want to introduce making his world podcast premiere, Kent Atkinson. How are you doing tonight, Kent? I'm doing fantastic. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. So you've, you've got a degree in film and electronic arts. Yes, um, I did get that degree. Okay, what I mean, what is that? Is that is that you just you get to watch film like twenty four seven? Question. Um, it is a uh, a lot of people assume right away when you tell me you have a film degree that you you went to film school and you made films, which is not entirely the case. Uh, there was a production track to do so, which I assisted on student films, but I didn't make any of my own personally for grades. Um, so I don't have any like short films, you know, under my own under my belt there but uh it was, a, it was a good ex- <laughs> slacker <laughs> Slack. uh, i'll accept that <laughs> well i mean uh you, you had a concentration in writing so i mean was that right. primarily um, what you're trying to do yeah um yeah as as i was in the, the film program for a while we had to uh choose a uh one one concentrate area to concentrate on whether it be uh directing editing writing what whatnot and uh i just found myself enjoying the writing more than anything else and seemed to do pretty well with it. And I don't have, we had to work on a script for that and uh, that carried over, but I don't have a, a finished script with that either. So, <laughs> well, there, um, there's one interesting thing you were talking about that um, actually led into some side projects. You did a lot of stand up comedy, didn't you? I wouldn't say a lot. Uh, I did take <laughs> a, a writing for comedy class in which our final for the class we were required to perform stand-up comedy at a comedy club in Pasadena so uh, you didn't really have a choice but to do it and so it was good to you know have someone push you over the edge there it was something I've always been interested in but I don't know if I would have had the guts to go out and seek, seek that out on my own but it went out pretty well and uh, I was invited back for a competition and then placed in that and was invited back to the final so you know I've been on stage a few times at I'd like to get back into that, so I, you know, I, I still write jokes. You still write? Okay, tell us one. Be funny. Be funny right now. A joke. Um, <laughs> well, they're situational, and I told you the majority of my jokes, and they don't really work. Cause they're pretty visual. Oh, okay. All right, my, well, that won't work for a podcast. Will <laughs> not work. Wow. Um, to get my degree, I had to learn how to do balance sheets and financial analyst stuff. Yours just sounds a lot better than mine. His, he know, sounds like he had a much more fun college experience. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it's fun, but at the same time, there are parts um, you'll you'll reveal uh, holes in my education tonight with the Dario Argento, as I have very little experience with his films. Okay, but now you work for Technicolor. What do you do for them? I uh, I'm an English editor on subtitles and closed captions from for TV shows, movies, anything you think of. Uh, I. You know, sometimes I enjoy the things I'm watching. Other times I'm forced to watch shows like Jersey Shore or... You, you have to put subtitles to Jersey Shore? The Jersey Shore. This is even better. Uh, there's an, there's a British version of that show called Geordie Shore, and I've had to do that one also. Really? <laughs> what are, what are yeah. you working on now? Um, 
I'll let's see. This evening I'll be working on Real Steel, the Hugh Jackman movie with the boxing robots. Uh, it's a favorite of Brad Anderson, actually. Yeah, that movie doesn't really exist. <laughs> I still, it's out in theaters, but I still think it's a big joke. Are you refusing to accept yeah. this? Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess I can let you know how it is <laughs> since I don't have to pay to watch this. I, I liked it, by the way. I, I I took the kids to it, and it was, I was actually surprised at how much I liked it. But um, since since we're in uh, Spooktober, that's that's Brad's uh, claim to fame. There was tagging our tagging our episodes this month with that. I got to ask you, Kent, um, favorite scary movie. Favorite scary movie. I knew this one was coming. I would have to say that uh, you're definitely more of a uh, horror, f- horror film fanatic than I am. Um, I'll enjoy watching them, but uh, I usually don't seek them out on my own. Let's see. I did watch Audition that you guys reviewed a few weeks ago. I'm Which sorry. And, uh, <laughs> I would like to try it again because it is, it is hard to follow. <laughs> but I actually enjoyed it. Unlike, uh, I remember Brad was not a big fan. <laughs> Now, neither was uh, Troy's wife. So, uh, <laughs> but I think Troy's picked it solely because the other movie was French. I think I remember that. Well, who? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have the same, uh, I guess, the disappreciation for the French as you. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you're you're more of an audition person, or I mean, given given. I didn't I get guess, a chance to watch Inside, so in that situation, I didn't. I couldn't compare them directly, but I did enjoy Audition. Okay. Well, um, if you two are ready, I'm I'm super anxious to get into talking about our movies for this week. Um, Inferno and House. You, are you guys up for this? I can't wait. I'm super excited. <laughs> okay. How about you, Kent? I'm on the edge of my seat. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break and promote some other podcasts. And when we come back, how about we um, start talking about Inferno from Dario Argento? Do we make money off these commercials? Because we should. (laughs) Tons of money. Tons of money. Actually, so much money, um, I don't even know what to do with it. I might have to actually give some to you, Brad, because it's just sitting here. All right. All right, well, I'll tell you what, guys. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive right into Dario Argento's epic, surreal masterpiece (laughs) (laughs) from 1980, Inferno. All right, I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. All right, Reverend Scott, take us to church. Uh, What can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. (laughs) Uh, Is there anyone's coattails you rode in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, (laughs) horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. (laughs) I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, Yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one one star too many. Let me tell you. The worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, Scott. That was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. Welcome back to Movie Matchup, The Pretension. We've got a doozy of a show this week. We're going to start things off talking about um, one of my favorite directors, Dario Argento. 
he had a film come out in 1980 called Inferno. And I'm going to read you both a quick little plot synopsis about this film. The story concerns a young man's investigation into the disappearance of his sister, who had been living in a New York City apartment building that also served as a home for a powerful centuries-old witch. A thematic sequel to 1977's Suspiria, the film is the second part of Argento's The Three Mothers trilogy. The long-delayed concluding entry, The Mother of Tears, was released in 2007. All three films are partially derived from the concept of Our Ladies of Sorrow, originally devised by Thomas de Quincey in his book Suspira de Profundis, which was written in 1845. Now, before we start talking about specifically Inferno, I got to ask you both, um, what is your experience with Argento's work, or have you seen any of his films? And, and we'll start with you, Brad. Oh, um Dario is probably uh, one of my weak spots in my film history, um, if you will. Um, I think the only film I've actually seen of his is um, Phantom of the Opera, maybe? Is that the, him? The one with uh, Ozzy Argento, his daughter? Yes. Okay. Oh, and I've seen Suspiria, too. So okay. I've seen two films. So you've seen the first film of this uh, Three Mothers trilogy? Yeah, I yes. Okay. Any any of his um giallos like um Bird with the Crystal Plumage or Deep Red or I, I literally like when we talked about this I was like looking over his film filmography and I was like, Haven't seen that, haven't seen that, so I'm pretty weak when it comes to Dario Argento, but I'm okay with that, to be honest with you. So okay, so what you've seen you haven't been that impressed with. No. <laughs> okay. How about yeah. you, Kent? Uh, I would have to agree with Brad on that. I have a quite a whole. I mean, the name was very familiar, and then as I looked at his filmography, filmography, I realized that uh, I think mostly what I my experience with him would be from any kind of reading in film books, film history, film theory, and whatnot. Because uh, looking over, I tried to get a hold of Suspiria, as it uh, it was the first of the three films. Sure. And uh, I couldn't get a couldn't get a copy of it in time. So at the moment, uh, I believe I've seen parts or maybe all of the Phantom of the Opera, opera but I don't remember it, so I'm not going to count it. I'll just, uh, Inferno is as far as it goes for me. Okay. Um, I you're the, I, so you're the Dario Argento uh, mega fan here, Troy. Yeah, absolutely, yes. I have well, tattoos of all the movies. No, no. Um, <laughs> You know, the thing with Dario, and most people um, will always say this about him, that his films probably leading up into the mid-80s are his shining moments. Because if you look at stuff from uh, even just the the last year, Giallo, which is a couple of years old with Adrian Brody, mm -hmm. um, man, that's a train wreck of a film. And The Mother of Tears from 2007 he goes back to, to finish this trilogy. It, it's a little bit of a mess. There are things about it I like, but you get to stuff like uh, the card player. As much as I'm a I'm an Argento apologist, I, <laughs> about the only thing I can say about the card player I liked was it had a couple of good sound cues. Maybe the title cards were neat. I mean, that, that, <laughs> that thing's a pile. <laughs> You're really digging deep for a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really love his films. And... Um, the thing with Dario Argento is I don't think he's for everybody simply because he is one of the few directors that I think is more concerned with the look, presentation, and even um, 
I, I don't know. He, he seems to paint with the camera. He's very uh, interested in how the camera moves within the shot or the colors of the shot or the way it looks. A great example is in uh, Tenebrae that, you know, there's this fantastic crane shot that starts at the top of a window and kind of goes around the house and follows this, you know, woman as she's going through the house. And it's one continuous shot. And that's very Argento to where it's very sweeping and he tries to, you know, pull things off that a lot of other directors don't do. But the nice thing about Argento is he's influenced a ton of people. Even Brian De Palma um, owes a lot of credit to Dario Argento. And a lot of people know Argento from the horror world simply because of his giallos like The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Cat of Nine Tails, Deep Red. And um, he really did influence, you know, slasher movies that we have today in the 80s or 90s. The interesting thing about Suspiria and um, Inferno and Mother of Tears is that's his his three films that he enters into supernatural territory, which he typically does not do. So stuff like Deep Red and and Bird with Crystal Plumage, you know, it is about discovering a killer. It's an Italian horror thriller film, which is what he's mostly known for. He did do a couple of episodes on the Masters of Horror uh, series that was running was that on Showtime? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I, I think only, it was Showtime. Yeah, I only caught those as they were coming out on uh, on DVD, and those episodes are fun to do. He is also known for um, also contributing to the story on Once Upon a Time in the West, and has worked with Sergio Leone. Oh yeah. So um, let's let's talk about Inferno for a second, and. Uh, this is an interesting film. Now, Brad, originally when we started putting this show together, you wanted to do Suspiria, correct? Yes. Okay. I kind of – Suspiria is something that is much more linear, and a lot of people talk about it. And Suspiria was a mega hit, and it really put Argento on the map for 20th Century Fox Studios. Um, and it was because of Suspiria that Inferno even got made. And to me, you know, anybody who is sort of a film auteur or says that they like horror films tends to point towards Suspiria and say that that is Argento's, you know, greatest masterpiece he's ever done. I, I can't agree or disagree with that because there are other films that I like equally as much. Inferno, I always find to be the divisive one and the one that either people just absolutely hate or people absolutely love. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this one is I think it fits in better context with the other film we're going to talk about today because this represents somebody who is really going for that artistic vision, you know, wants to take his film to the next level and really put a lot of meaning into it. And, and I want to share with you a little quote because this is what Argento was trying to do with Inferno, and I want to start with a question after reading this quote. So this is, this is Argento talking about Inferno. I wanted to evoke bloody spirits and exercise the distorted symbolism of our collective conscience, the magic moment that makes you shake with fear when the realization hits that each victim encounters water at a key point prior to their death, that each character breaks an ornament before losing their life, and that the significance of alchemy is it's only supposed to be properly understood by practitioners. And from that quote, Argento is trying to kind of give you the message or meaning of what he was striving for with Inferno. So my question to both of you is, do you think what Argento was trying to put together comes through on film? And I'm going to start with you, Kent. Uh, let's see. Um, the, reading that quote, I kind of wish I would have gotten a hold of this quote before I watched it. I would have 
probably look for these things more. Um, I do agree with what you mentioned about his he. I think uh, I think he puts more emphasis on form over content in the film. So he's you know more about the visual appearance and the style rather than you know acting and script and whatnot. Sure. Which is very apparent because the <laughs> it's, it's just there's not much to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, as deliberate he is, as he is in pointing certain things out, I feel like I still missed the. Uh, but you mentioned the realization that each victim encounters the water at a key point and then break an ornament and all that. Um, I feel like he, he really emphasized with close-ups things that he wanted you know, just pound in your head. This is important, you know. Uh, let's see if I have any examples. Uh, just just repetitive uh, close-ups of something, you know, like when when the book goes missing uh, at a later point in the film, and you know they keep close up close up on the bookshelf like three or four times to show you the book's not there. Like, I oh, feel like yeah. I got the, that, you know? <laughs> the book of the three mothers. Right, right. Like the, That's just an example of his style. Like, like with, as deliberate as he is in putting things like that, I still feel like I missed his uh, the one, two, three before they died or, or the water, the ornament, and all that. Okay. Well, Brad, um, what do you think? <laughs> what, do, what do I think? Um... <laughs> He loved it. Oh, this... I'm trying to figure out if this is actually a real movie or not. Um, what do you mean by that? I, I, I want to start with that that comment, because that that is the reaction that um, my wife had to watching this. I Again, I feel like I'm watching a bad David Lynch film. Like, I don't know. Like, this is so... It, this looks so film school and so, like... Trying to be heady for heady's sake and just uh, forgetting everything else that makes a good movie. Like, how about having good actors? How about having a strong script? <laughs> how about having anything that just is that makes sense? Like, just a little bit would have been amazing. But I just the first scene, I was like, when the girl jumps in the water, she's kind of swimming around. I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. And everything after that was like an avalanche. I mean, it was just an avalanche of absolute shit is what it was. <laughs> like, it just kept going and going and going and going. And I, there was these hallways and they were all red and then they're blue. And then it was, <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I was just like, this made my head hurt. I was so mad because it, I wasted an hour and 40 minutes sitting through this thing, wondering what the hell was the purpose. Yeah, I agree. And not to interrupt you, uh, the, I think I was lost during the water scene when she was underwater for about like five minutes without having to breathe. Yeah. And the editing, the editing in this movie is atrocious. Like it goes from one thing to the other and you're like, how did they get from here to there? It's just New York to Rome. Literally, yeah, literally this feels like someone decided to make a movie and they had like $12 and some friends and they were like, let's make a movie. Well, yeah, you have a lot of um, people show up in this film. Um, you know, it starts out with uh, Irene Miracle and uh, you think that she's going to be the protagonist and you don't stay with her very long before you jump over to Rome um, with uh, her brother, Mark Elliott, played by uh, Lee McCloskey. 
And then he you has have this awesome hairdo, by the way. That is an amazing hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's very, he looks he looks very dashing for 1980. Um, and then you get uh, Eleonora Geroji, um, who plays Sarah. And then there's a long sequence with her and um, Daria Nicolodi, which is um, I believe she was Argento's wife at one point, and is and is very much involved in a lot of his films in the early career. Actually. Uh, is known that she has, you know, some story credit behind Suspiria and this in terms of the Three Mothers trilogy. Um, but she shows up and has a major role. And so there are, it, it is a film that I think best described is you've got all of these people that show up and die at, in, in essence. And you don't know who the star is. I mean, would you, would you both agree about that? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it, I mean, it makes it makes it almost impossible to get behind a character and feel like you're going along a journey with someone. Well, I mean, would you, would you, would it be fair to say that there is no character development in this film whatsoever? Yeah, there's uh, not enough time. As soon yeah. as you commit to one character, they they jump to someone else. So. <clears throat> um, and then as far as the story goes, uh, would you guys consider there's a story? I mean, I guess around the brother, eventually it, it's up there. Is this green eggs and ham? Is that a story? I mean, yeah, <laughs> but it's I mean, it's shit. I mean, it's very juvenile. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, now Brad, you've seen Suspiria, right? Yes, I have. Okay, so you find Suspiria to be better than this one. I find Suspiria to be about a thousand times better than this film. Okay, what about Suspiria is better? than this I just think that Suspiria was at least there was and I'm not looking for like a linear story per se I'm looking for just some kind of timeline that makes sense to me um, I felt Suspiria was just easier to understand and was basically it was mainstream like for what it was, as mainstream as it could be. Uh, this film, Inferno, feels like we're going to go all indie punk band on everybody and make it completely just, like, we're going to just turn our back on everything conventional, and then then we can call it, like, art, and then it's okay. Like, that's you, what I feel like. You don't, But you don't find artistic merit, or it doesn't evoke an artsy feel in you. No, it, it evokes frustration. Frustration, and you're kind of in that camp too, right, Kent? Yeah, I feel the frustration. I don't have much appreciation for his uh, opinion of art. Okay. Um, yeah, and you know, I'll be the first to say this is one that I think the more I watch, the more I appreciate it. But there are a lot of things I just don't get it, and I guess I have a hard time with this one because you I, and I don't know how both of you feel about David Lynch. Um, let's talk about Eraserhead for a second. Now, I know Eraserhead, to me, is a little bit more out there than Inferno, because at least with Inferno, I can grasp on to this concept of the three mothers, and um, you've got this one that is supposedly living in this uh, apartment complex or this building, and the whole idea is they're discovering her, and then at the end of the film, they end up destroying her, more or less. So whatever loose plot there is, I can almost kind of follow that one. Um, but with, uh, Eraserhead, I don't know if you have both have either seen that one. 
that movie really frustrates me. And while I I appreciate its visual presentation and I appreciate, <coughs> I don't know, the maybe the artistic merit <clears throat> behind it, it's not one that I would go back to and watch over and over again. And I guess with these type of films, do you think that, I mean, do you think they work or do they, they just become something that uh, should altogether be skipped when you have a director who's really trying to put this kind of, I don't know, meaning behind their images or do you think it just comes off as pretentious bullshit well i mean i don't think there's anything wrong with making an artistic using film as like your ultimate form of art and kind of putting everything else on the back burner um like with Eraserhead, i i feel like artistically that is a much better film again i agree with you i i, I don't know what the hell that movie's about um <laughs> with a lot of uh, Lynch films, I'm just, I, I mean, like, Mulholland Drive, like, there's a story going on there, it's really complicated, and there's, like, things cut out, and all this stuff, but, I, I mean, I don't know, like, the art's there, it, with this one, it's like, I didn't appreciate any of that art they were going for, um, I wish I could come off with, like, a good artsy film, like, right off the top of my head, but I, I can't, so. Have you seen a Razor I can't? Uh, parts of it. I haven't seen all the way through. Okay. Well, this this is a film, and, and Inferno gets a lot of love. And um, I think in 2005, Total Film Magazine named Inferno one of the 50 greatest horror films ever made. <laughs> oh, my God. I saw that list. <laughs> and I, I just want to read you um, something real quick. There, there's a book out. If you like Dario Argento, uh, I strongly, 100%, recommend everybody uh, pick up a book called Broken Mirrors, Broken Minds, The Dark Dreams of Dario Argento. But when they start to get to talking about Inferno, this is what is considered to be um, going on in this particular film. And I just want to read you something because it starts talking about um, the psychology in the film. And you want to talk heady, this is how much of an interpretation people read into to this particular film. So here, here's a quote from uh, from Broken Mirrors, Broken Minds. I can't remember who wrote this. Hold on. Uh, Maitland McDonald. McDonough? Okay. Uh, okay, here we go. What's interesting here is that Argento has claimed that the underlying psychology of his films isn't Freudian but Jungian, and while this would be impossible to defend on a consistent basis, it does provide an interesting angle on Suspiria and Inferno. Much of Jung's dream theory, always the relevant system when you want to talk about movies, revolves around his notion of archetypal iconography. I can't say that word. Archetypes are images that aren't derived from the specific psychological processes of the individual dreamer, but rather drawn from the vast reserve of images that inform all cultural phenomenon, from religious symbolism to the world of legends and fairy tales. The image of water, particularly bodies of water, ocean pools, lakes, is consistently associated with the first of Jung's major archetypes, that of the great mother who embodies the conflicting aspects of the feminine principle, simultaneously nurturing and devouring. The great mother can also be personified in dreams by houses, a particularly provocative association in light of the entire notion of the houses of the three mothers, repositories of their filthy secrets, etc., which are a central part of the iconography of Suspiria and Inferno, yet aren't mentioned by De Quincey. Blah blah blah. <laughs> you don't you don't find the relevance of that within Inferno? No, no. Well, I mean, I, I I see the water thing. Like you brought that up, I'm like, oh, okay. But 
Does it make Does it make it better? No. Do you think rewatching it with with a little bit of research and background would it would increase, I guess, your entertainment value of the film? Uh, maybe a little bit, but that means I would have to sit through another hour and forty minutes of it, and I don't want to do that. Okay, how about you, Ken? I feel the same way. Like to come to those conclusions and all those observations, I feel like you've had to really watch and study the film many times, which I'm not willing to do. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Like so. I don't want to invest more time in studying this film than they obviously did to make it. So right. like, I, don't I don't think feel that's fair. That enough of that stuff will uh, change my opinion, you know, to where I fully appreciate it. Okay. So what about the visual presentation then? Anything that is striking or you find um, that you haven't seen before? I felt like it was the lighting, the red and blue everywhere was just like Tron. Tron? <laughs> <laughs> From the 80s. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, and then uh, I, I think I was finding, I was looking for holes pretty early with the, uh, when uh, is it, uh, Rose is, is going down into the cellar. And it's pretty well lit for a cellar. And then she pulls a lighter out of her pocket so she could see. And I'm like, it's really bright already. <laughs> and I'm like, it just, it took me out of it. Like, I know, you know, it's fine in the world of the, of the film, but I felt like they didn't really establish any set rules. So I'm like, is this supposed to be realistic or is it supposed to be surreal? And then I felt like it, it just never stuck with it one way or the other. So it's hard to, you know, accept it so i'm like i'm finding holes but i'm like well maybe it's part of the film but then i don't know like with our other film that's coming up i feel like the absurdity was just off so off the chart that you could just accept anything okay but with inferno it didn't break the rules enough or as off you know as frequently like what about what about the scene of the gentleman who's trying to drown the cats and calls i mean i mean that was funny but i felt like it was unnecessary (laughs) it was a, a lot of situational setup for like just to have him killed like yeah, but by a random like hot dog vendor. Right, like, the hot dog that just taught me to you know stay away from hot dog vendors at night. I guess in Central Park. In Central Park, while I'm drowning cats. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean the, the whole the whole scene. I mean he's he's going through this elaborate thing of trying to drown these cats, and then um, wouldn't he just put a brick in that bag and drop them off a bridge <laughs> instead of trying to crutch around in the water? <laughs> he was handicapped. That scene goes on so long. Like that is such a long scene for such a simple. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. Yeah, it's such a lot of build up for something that's yeah it could have been accomplished much easier. Yeah, well, and and then the rats attack him, and they're eating him alive. And right. just when you think that, and you know, the the other thing that's kind of strange about it is the guy basically runs across the water like he is walking on water for for all intent and purpose, right? And shows up to the guy and then hacks his head off more or less. Yeah, he tries. And what what's the significance of the the total eclipse? Because they he mentions it and then they show it and then he's attacked by rats. But like, what is that? I as far don't know. as just being an eclipse, is that just? I felt like, oh, they're really making a big deal of this eclipse, and here we are, we're seeing it. And then, does that is that what triggered the hot dog vendor to kill him? Or, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, yeah, Dario, let's hear your explanation on that one. <laughs> here, here's what I, here's what I ultimately think about the film. When, when I read that quote in the beginning, you know, Dario became extremely fascinated at this time period with alchemy. And, I mean, you both know what alchemy is, right? Right, right. Okay, so... For RPGs, I guess. (laughs) Sure. And, you know, the whole idea of alchemy is that you have an alchemist who 
has all of these um, elaborate equations of putting something together to create something. But if you're outside of that circle, you don't know what that, I mean, somebody grabs a newt's eye and, you know, reindeer balls and puts, you know, hair in it and <laughs> boils it for four minutes. And all of a sudden that's supposed to be a love potion. Those four or five elements put together make no sense from an outsider, but then the end effect or end result is supposed to be X, you know, but, but us as outsiders <coughs> or laymen wouldn't understand that. That's true. And I, I think Argento went into this film trying to explore that. Whether or not there's all that psychology in there, I'm sure he intended to get that across. Is it successfully put across to where, you know, a regular viewer could pick that up and really get something out of it? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think this movie is for your average Joe who walks into a video store, gets on Netflix, and is like, oh, this looks like a scary movie. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down and watch it. it to me, it's not for you. This yeah. is for an Argento fan. This is this is a good companion piece to Suspiria and even Mother of Tears. Um, but it it makes no freaking sense. Yeah, but to be fair, like anyone who is like us who listens to podcasts about movies mm-hmm. is that person. Like, yeah. is that person? And I feel like if someone listens to this, I don't want them to watch this movie. <laughs> because it's a waste of time. And see, I, I would disagree with you on that point. That um, I have watched this film several times, and I don't, I can't sit there and tell you why. I, it's not one that I would go out and recommend and go, "Oh my God, you have to see Inferno." There are some visually striking things in this film, and I, I really do like that whole sequence. You know, Kent, you were talking about the cellar, how the way it's lit, and then all of a sudden she brings a lighter out, and you're like. Shit, right. she can see, man. <laughs> what are you doing? Right. It may all be in red, but she can still see. Sure. And to me, with Argento, it's always been watching a director try and paint with the camera and paint more in a Salvador Dali style to where you get all these images together and they don't necessarily make sense. And I think Inferno is a classic example of it. They don't necessarily gel together and they are more about style and presentation but there is something there that becomes a little bit hypnotic if you can let yourself into it. But you know what? Inferno is not a movie. I would, I'm kind of with Brad on that end that I would not go out and recommend anybody to see this. To me, you got to know what you're getting into. And you know what? If you're watching it in that first sequence where she goes, she goes into a cellar and then goes into that pool of water into a room that's underneath the cellar, which doesn't make any sense. That, that just shouldn't exist. If you get into that sequence and you like what you see, keep watching. If you don't, turn it off. Yeah, and don't oh, let man. the wet t-shirt contest part fool you. Oh, yeah. No, it was not very at all. Nice. The only... <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. This isn't, you know, if I were recommending a Dario Argento film, I probably would recommend Deep Red, Suspiria, Bird with a Crystal, something more linear. But even then, Suspiria has some of those inferno moments where they just don't necessarily make sense. And it is more style um, over substance. But again, I think that's one of the things that I'm always drawn to Dario Argento film is that um, he's not afraid to, in in his supernatural thrillers, uh, to try and capture a dreamlike state and put it on film. And, and for, for most directors, I think he does that better than most. I, I like him better than I do like... Um, David Lynch, although you you talked about Mulholland Drive, Brad. What I like about that film is it reminds me a little bit of a Dario Argento film. And there's lesbians. And there's lesbians. I like that one too. Naomi Watts 
fantastic too. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, um, I, I don't know if that exactly makes sense to either of you two um, in terms of, I guess, my attraction to it. Uh, but at the same time, it's not something I'm like, man, let, let's sit down and, you know, get a couple of beers and watch some Inferno. It's just, no. you're not going to do I feel like that. it's a movie that should almost come with a disclaimer. You have to do homework beforehand to even appreciate it. Not that you'll even understand it then, but, uh, but just to sit down and watch it without knowing anything about it, you're just going to stand up and say, what the hell just happened? Yeah, no, and, and I, I would equate it to like a Salvador Dali painting. If you look at a painting, you can maybe appreciate the weirdness of it. Sure. And there is something going on in that painting, but you'd have to do a little bit of research about him or maybe what he was painting at that time or what he was going through to fully understand the painting. Um, but it would almost evoke, I don't know, a personal taste or a personal reaction to it. And that reaction for something like Inferno is going to be, man, I really love, I really love that film. It was uh, striking to me. It was visually pleasing. It was, it was such a mystery. I'm still trying to figure out what it all meant. And if you have fun going in there and, uh, you know, dissecting all the psychology of it, man, this, this yeah. film's for you. But, um, I, I don't know. It's, to me, it's, it, this movie is a painting where you're going to have one reaction to it or not. And obviously, sure. Brad, Brad wants to burn it. <laughs> he wants to burn it. I want to Nosferatu every copy of this movie so no one else has to go through what I had to go through. <laughs> Is this gonna is this gonna prevent you from kind of exploring any <coughs> Argento films? I will be hesitant. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Like if I had a choice between him and somebody else, I'll probably go somebody else. What about you, Kent? Um, I uh, you said Brad would like to burn it. I think that's fitting as it is Inferno. So should I pour drown water it, drown on it with some cats or something? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I thought about after reading about it and looking back. You know, I'm like, oh, well, that makes you know a little more sense to you know almost appreciate it, but like I still can't convince myself to commit another hour and forty minutes of my time to try to see if you know I'll like it more. But you would if it oh, were as far a, as requisite for class or something. Oh. <laughs> eh, well, I mean, that's you do what you got to do for class. That's sure. <laughs> But I mean, how about um, how about other Argento films? Are, are you uh, going to explore? Way, or are you done? The way, I mean, I, I'd be more interested in seeing one of his uh, his other titles that you mentioned were about you know the horror thriller types that were uh, solving a mystery or whatever. I think rather than the his dreamlike and his surreal style of this, I don't think I could handle a lot of that. Okay, not from not coming from him, anyways. Sure. Um, well, you know, a couple of notes about this film. Um, apparently, legendary Italian horror director Mario Bava, and I'm sure you both know who Mario Bava is, Black Sunday, and, you know, really made Barbara Steele extremely famous with, with some of his uh, 60s uh, horror films, 70s. He's also credited as sort of being the father of the, the oh, right, right. Giallo. Um, but he was uh, credited or unaccredited for making some of the special effects on the film. And even some of the actors or actresses have kind of gone on record and said that Dario Gento didn't necessarily direct them, um, but that Mario Bava did. And I, I want to say it was uh, Irene Miracle who was the first one that had been reportedly to say that she wasn't necessarily working with Argento in this film, but more Mario Bava. And some people say the reason for that was that Argento reportedly was ill with a severe case of hepatitis throughout the production. And at one point, he had to be bedridden for days 
um, leaving the production to work only on second unit stuff. And um, Argento, even in a lot of interviews, when he talks about his filmography, says that Inferno is probably the most challenging film because of his physical mental state while he was doing this and all of the, the troubles that plagued it. This was never released um, in the U.S. theatrically. Uh, Suspiria was a big hit. 20th Century Fox um, went into partnership with him to make a sequel. Inferno wasn't even, you know, that, that whole Three Mothers thing wasn't considered a trilogy. It only became a trilogy after Suspiria was a huge hit. And so they wanted a sequel. He came up with Inferno. 20th Century Fox went through some management changes. And then they said they weren't going to release this. Whereas overseas and everywhere else, it was a huge hit. Inferno was very successful. And it was um, finally released in the States on the home video market. So there's some some facts about Inferno, which I'm sure Brad could get. I shouldn't have it. <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, – final thoughts, Inferno. Kent, what do you got? Um, yeah. <laughs> Man, I was – yeah, like I said, the, the lighter scene at the beginning in the cellar and then her diving in the water – and uh, I couldn't, like you said, you had to let yourself get into his style, and I uh, and I just couldn't do it. I tried, I just didn't do much for me. Okay. And, and I did read the stuff that you had just mentioned about him being sick during production and all that, but I also read somewhere that he felt that it was his most uh, pure film. I guess uh, I can't remember his exact quote, but he felt that it was his most pure all around, maybe cinematic style or whatever yeah he's he's very proud of this film yes i, I noticed that and i was just confused <laughs> if that's if that was you know his pinnacle then i don't know what to think of his that's what i'm reluctant to, to watch anything else of his yeah i mean it, it is very non-mainstream and very non-commercial which you know if you're executive 20th century fox and and this is what your director hands over i i could see them going i don't know what the hell we do with this thing <laughs> right absolutely Okay, Brad, let, let let it loose. Go for it, well, man. Yeah, I just want to say that like I, I like a lot of weird movies, and I like you know I we are doing a show dedicated to foreign films and you know kind of upper brow films and all that stuff, and I feel like I should you know have some sort of appreciation for this film, but I also know what I like, and this is far from what I like, uh, very <laughs> far from what I like, and I I will have to say that if this is Dario Argento's best film from his point of view then yeah I, I will never step into his line again so I, I would it, recommend Brad um, watch Deep Red you it's, you you are on my list my friend so you no that's why and and I picked this one like I said I picked this one because it's not you know the the whole idea of this show um, from doing the the regular movie matchup is to kind of pick films that, like you said, Brad Foreign. Maybe a lot of people haven't heard of it heard of it, but I think this makes a better conversation piece than Deep Red or any of his other films because it's it's just out there. And in, in, in like I'm not I'm mad that I watched it, but I'm not mad that I watched it. Like I can at least say that I have. You know, like there there's. Something to be said for that, you know. So sure. I'm not, you know, my I have a little bit more film IQ because of this movie, or maybe I don't. Maybe it took some away. Probably <laughs> the latter. So okay, well, um, if if you both haven't noticed, I I I mean, it's an Argento film. I do enjoy it, uh, but it's not something that I recommend. 
unless you like Argento. Or, like I said, if you read a little bit about it, do some research. If it sounds intriguing to you, you know, get ready for kind of a crazy ride. Um, don't sniff any glue and watch this film. Who I, I, I worry about people on drugs watching this film because it can it can be a little trippy. But uh, no, I I enjoy Argento. I think this is um, I can see where he would see that this is his proud I don't know moment as an auteur because there's a lot going on in this movie. I don't know if it exactly translates very well to the audience, but um, I dig it. I like it. Uh, <laughs> with that. I know, I know. I'm in the minority on this one. But uh, with that being said, let's take another quick break. And when we get back, we're going to get into some really crazy stuff with uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi's 1977, Haozu. Haozu. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Are you serious, podcast? Best of the left.com. Linoleum knife. 35 millimeter hero. Chinstroke versus pencil. Family movie night. Bloody good horror. Girls on film radio. Night of the Living Podcast. Mail order zombie. Outside the cinema. Popcorn mafia. Perhaps you'd be interested in Glee Cast. First time caller podcast. Showshow.podomatic.com. The David Pakman Show. gentle listeners i'm Fozzie bear there are a lot of podcasts out there and it's impossible to listen to them all that's where the podcast podcast comes in on the podcast podcast we have very special guests from some of the best shows on itunes covering everything from movies to television to literature to pop culture and politics on the podcast podcast you can listen to these guests and decide if you should check out their show or keep on moving find us in the itunes store by searching for me Fozzie bear that's f-o-z-z-i-e-b-a-r-e Welcome back to the second half of our show. We're going to get into some uh, crazy stuff now. And uh, we picked another foreign film from Japan for Spooktober, and that is 1977's House. Before we get into this, I want to do a quick plug um, for one of our listeners and uh, also for a good friend of the show, um, Mike McGranahan, who uh, runs a website called The Isle Seat. He's a, he's a very good movie critic. I strongly urge you to check... Um, that uh, website out. He has a book that just came out. And if you go over to his website, you can order it. Definitely suggest you buy it. And um, gosh, you know what? I, I'm starting to talk about his book and I cannot remember the title off the top of my head. It's um, Straight Up Blatant. Something? Straight Up Blatant. That's what it is. Yeah. Thanks, Brad, man. I, hey, that's what awesome. I'm here for. Um, apparently Mike McGranahan is a huge fan of this film that we're going to talk about 1977's house. He's got the t-shirt and he and I have been talking about, uh, this movie back and forth on Twitter tonight. Um, and, uh, apparently, and I haven't got his book yet. It's on its I way. I was going to order his book, but. <laughs> well, I, I, I ordered it. So, um, I can't wait to read it cause I, I love his reviews, but, uh, apparently there's a section in the book about this film. So I'm curious to really see him dissect it. And, um, well, let, let's get into it, but I just wanted to plug Mike's book real quick. Um, since we, you know, apparently it is talking about house, uh, real Probably quick, much better than what we'll say, but okay. Um, real quick plot synopsis. And this one's short. Uh, the film is about a schoolgirl traveling with her six classmates to her ailing aunt's country home where they come face to face with supernatural events as the girls are one by one devoured by the home. Um, 
<laughs> now, before we get into this, I got to ask Kent something because you and I, Brad, have talked back and forth about Takashi Miki. I mean, you, you, you and I are the Asian boys. I mean, we we watch a lot of uh, Far East films. I, I think yes, that's fair to say. Okay, so Kent, yes, uh, Japanese cinema, specifically Japanese horror. You have any experience with it? Uh, a little, and uh, I don't have a whole lot of tiles that come right off top of my head, but uh, I typically I, I like it usually. And I see, I find a lot of the American movies remake from Japanese horror. So, now, have you usually, seen any of the originals, like Ringu or, or right? The yeah, Dragons? like those, like you know, films like that. And I, I usually feel the Japanese have it have a better uh, film. Okay, well, I got to ask you. We're going to start with you because I we're we're going to let Brad get some uh, get ready. He's getting warmed up because he's ready to talk about <laughs> house. Yeah, I'm in the uh, bullpen right now, just warming up. Okay, get, you know, get that cardio going. But we're gonna start with with Kent. Kent, what 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 do you think of House? Well, House, um, excuse me. It was. I felt it was a really well done documentary. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> no. um, it was interesting. Uh, the the backdrops initially, like at the her father's house, like I was just staring at the skyline and like, what the hell is that? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know that stuff it's it worked because like it, the film doesn't take itself seriously at all and i felt inferno did that i think is part of why i didn't get into it but uh with house it was just over the top and every time you're like what the hell was that and you know something even more ridiculous happens so uh i mean i i grew to appreciate it as the film went on <clears throat> Did you grew to appreciate its wackiness? Yeah, just yeah, just the over the top everything about it, you know, the absurdity. Was there was there any particular scene that just uh stuck out as sort of like what the fuck was that? Oh man, like what what's with the guy that stumbles down the steps and falls into a bucket and then <laughs> spins around in the road and then I just like what is going on? And it didn't have anything to do with the story, I don't think. Well, he had to go to the hospital to get the bucket oh, yeah. removed from his butt so he could right. eat the girls. And then by yeah. the end of the film, he turns into a... The bananas. Stack of bananas. bananas. Stack of bananas, like yeah. That. You like watermelons? No. Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> and he turns into bananas. All right, Brad, let's go. Are you ready? Yeah. Should I, should I ring the bell for you? Yeah. Okay, ding. There you go. All right, first, I, I'm going to start with another question. Like, is this for Like, this is for real. Like, this movie is for real. Like, this is this is for real. Okay, like, so in <laughs> like I, I, the film I have, was never shown in North America until 2009, when Janice Films initiated a small tour of theatrical showings. That was the first time it made its debut, we were not and ready. Uh, yeah, in, in, including two sold-out shows at the 2009 New York Asian Film Festival, and it did a small theatrical run in 2010. Everyone asked for a refund. Uh, no, apparently it's a big hit. And then an, no, another interesting thing about the release of this in 1977, it was actually part of a double bill. The first film, and I can't remember the title of it, was like a teenage um, rom-com type film. And then House was the uh, uh, the second film of that bill. And apparently the first movie just kind of tanked. Nobody really even talked about that. Whereas um, in 1977, it was a huge hit for the studio. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, the director, Obayashi, won the Blue Ribbon Award, which is a film-specific prize awarded solely by movie critics and writers in Tokyo. And he was awarded the Blue Ribbon Award for Best New Director in 78 for House. So, yes, Brad, it does exist, and it's actually got some accolades both 
in its home country and over here. And Criterion, because, Criterion, yeah, Criterion put out the, pissed me off. Like, okay. <laughs> having a Criterion Collection edition of this movie is a travesty. It's a fan- this- fantastic addition to Blu-ray and DVD. People <laughs> had to work to make this thing happen. And, yes. Like, to make this DVD come out. And that they wasted their time. Like, literally, this is probably... If I hadn't seen Inferno... Well, <laughs> because I've seen this film, Inferno isn't, like, the worst movie I've seen. House is the worst movie I've ever seen. Like, this film... Literally could be one of the worst. I don't even know if I can call this a movie. Like, what'd you call it? I don't know. A waste of time. Like, <laughs> literally, there's a scene where a piano very poorly eats a girl. <laughs> and for 1977, I'm not expecting, you know, industrial light and magic. But I'm, I would like it to look halfway decent. What about the floating head that bites the other girl yeah, on the butt out of the whale? Well, well, not whale. <laughs> of course, if a whale showed up, I would have been. I'd be like, yeah, yeah that, been, that's it. Would it would fit right in. Yeah, <laughs> that's the in, thing. Yes. Like this, like, and, and this is not hyperbole at all. This is like one of the, if not the, worst film I've ever seen in my life. Really? Yes. <clears throat> that's a bold statement. That yeah. is a bold. Have you seen Rhinestone? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Rhinestone. <laughs> So like this is worse like, than right. This is worse than Sylvester Stallone singing country and western music. Well, okay, uh, for something <laughs> for something that's trying to be like is trying to cater to this crowd that is of the higher brow. This is of those films. This is the worst I've ever seen. Well, and see, I, that's a that's an interesting point because the more I read about this film the more it seemed it was targeted to the youth of 1977. And that's where it really yeah. took off. Whereas today, you're not going to see a 16 or 17 year old sit through this film. I don't think. Well, maybe if they're know. on opium or something like that. I mean, this is, <laughs> but like, but yeah, it's being, it really is accepted by, um, well, you know, Mike McGrane has a section devoted into how? His, how? his book. Of, how I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, about- I haven't. Re- I don't know if it's a chapter. He said there was a section in it. I want to call him now and just ask him. I'll know in a few days when I get my copy of the book. Straight up blatant from the aisle seat. Another plug yeah. for you, Mike. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's not um, appreciated. You know, we we got teenage kids on our street, and I don't see them going around saying, "Hey, did you see the the Jap- Japanese film House from '77 with the schoolgirls being eaten by the piano or and the evil cat." The evil the cat? cat? Yeah, the yeah. lady with the eyeball in her mouth and stuff. I, I, mattresses? For real? Yeah, the mattresses, I think, was over the, was the most ridiculous of those. Um, You know, the first time I've watched this, I, the first time I saw it, I, my mouth was open probably throughout the whole thing. Because I, I it felt like I was watching a Scooby-Doo episode on acid. I, I don't know why, because you almost get the teenage kids going to the haunted house kind of thing with um, Scooby Doo music. Am, am I off track here? That it had no. Scooby Doo elements. No, <laughs> no that piano was, this, was. And then there was the English, the song with like English words. Yeah. Like, with, yeah. Did I? Okay, I didn't hallucinate during that part. Like that. No, really that happened. happened. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that. But I, it just it felt it felt like a live action Scooby Doo film from like the sixties or seventies with. Um, 
some messed up stuff going on. And uh, I was kind of like you, Brad. Like, did did I just watch that? Did that all actually happen? Um, and I think this is the third time I've seen the movie now. And there are still moments where I'm like, I mean, the guy turns into bananas or or the watermelon man. I'll tell you what. The creepiest thing for me in this film is the watermelon sales guy. Oh, man. His that, dance. That, oh, that thing is creepy. But, um, yeah, I, this is the weirdest movie I, I think I've ever seen. You say weird, <laughs> I say awful. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to talk. I mean, with Argento, at least I can break things down into like a visual story. You know, there's not much character development. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words on how to describe. I mean, I've had my wife walk in in the middle of this film and stay five minutes, and I don't even think she believed what she saw was on screen was going on. <laughs> and she probably expects that from you, so... Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, even this one throws you for a loop. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, why do you think there is such a draw to this film? I mean, Criterion picked it up, and there's a huge essay in that edition about the importance of this film. Um and for it to get this much notoriety right now from film credits and stuff like that, what do you think the attraction is? It's weird. People just, it's hip and it's weird for weird sake? Yeah. Yeah. You think, I mean, everybody in California down with this one? No. Um, no. Actually, I think people in California would enjoy this a lot. <laughs> Take oh, really? the Venice Beach and just show it out there and people would come away with all kinds of theories of what it meant. Okay. But everyone there is on pot, so that might make sense. I think both of the movies you had us watch tonight, you should have uh, recommended us not do sober. <laughs> you think that would have added to the enjoyment? I feel like it, yes. Yeah, Medicinal like marijuana. Wonderland. I'm just like, it doesn't make sense, but I'll try to accept it. That's a good point. I mean, it, do you, is this a... Uh... Uh, I, I mean, the fairy tale elements in it. Do you think it works? I think too. Uh, obviously, it does with certain crowds, but uh, I, you have to just. <clears throat> I think every time you try to uh, grab onto something and make sense of it, it just throws you for a new loop. So you just have to accept, you know, go along for the ride, basically, and just. I don't know. I find humor in it, so that's where I found the enjoyment out of it. But if you try to analyze it, I think you're just going to frustrate yourself. <laughs> Yeah, there. I don't know humor. I'm still. This one still has me in shock and awe. Shock and awe. Yeah, because it, it, it got a reaction, and I mean, no, some reactions better than no reaction, right? Yeah, and Whether I did find I did find some stuff very funny about it. Um, uh, there are some Argento esque qualities in terms of some scenes and how it's framed and stuff. Right. Um, but. Do you guys consider this to be a horror movie? No. No, I don't either. Okay. There's no... The genre for it. <laughs> what were you going to say, Brad? I was going to say, I, I don't know how you classify this into anything. Like, I, I, I literally don't. Uh, does it shock you, then, that in 2009, the Japanese film magazine... Kinema Yumpo placed House at number 160 on their list of top 200 Japanese films. I guess their standards aren't very high. <laughs> you really hated this thing. Oh, I like I literally 
when I got done with it, I I almost called you and told you that I quit. Like I literally like <laughs> <laughs> that bad, huh? Yeah, I mean, I have Hulu Plus, so I got to watch this for free. But if I had to pay money to see this movie, I would've been really mad. Oh wow, because I bought the Blu-ray. Oh god. <laughs> I hope you kept the receipt. Like I really does it have the orange cat on it? Yes. Oh my god, the oh, cat, yeah. the cat. We haven't uh, even talked about the cat. Okay, well, let's talk about the cat. Cat Blanche, was it? Yeah, Blanche. Like, I guess that was like the linchpin for everything bad to happen. Like, he just flashed its green eyes and it was bad. Right. What What did you think about the martial arts in this film, Brad? <laughs> oh, Kung Fu. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was probably... The one she kind of chopped the wood in the air... It kind of came out of nowhere. But then she didn't wear pants the rest of the movie, which I found kind of weird. Like, why is she not wearing pants? That's fine with me, but she's not wearing pants. It's just weird. Yeah, there's there's a, I don't want to say a lot of nudity, but there's some nudity in here that just kind of pop up out of nowhere, too. Yeah. Yeah, there was. Oh, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there's, some strong, there's some strong aerial in this film. Yes, yes. Um yeah, cat. Oh gosh, I'm still trying to reel. It feels like uh, I was dreaming when I was watching this film, kind of thing. You know, like when you wake up and you're trying to put these pieces together and they don't necessarily make sense. That's that's kind of my reaction to this film. I think that was the goal, wasn't wasn't it to make it you know like a dream, basically? Yeah, I, I, I some of the stuff I read about it, like described it just how you did. You know, where you wake up from the dream and try to put pieces together of it. Uh, well, it worked because I had that same type of reaction to it. Okay, well, um, I guess we'll wrap. Fever dream or like fever dream, a nightmare. <laughs> it could yeah. be. I've I've had food poisoning before, and I remember very vividly seeing images. You know, when you're kind of praying to the porcelain god, and was you it can't from make. Watermelon? <laughs> it wasn't from watermelon, but it's from like bad chicken at TGI Fridays. But uh, I, de- I mean, this does feel kind of like that uh, put to film. Um, but, you know, it's craziness. Well, final thoughts. We're going to start with you, Brad. Final final thoughts. Anything else you want to get out about uh, Haozu? No. I, like, I don't say this very often, but, like, I literally hated every second that I watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, like, even, like, in Transformers, I can find something that I like. <laughs> I mean, it might be slow motion girl walking up the stairs and her ass hanging out in 3D, but that's at least I can enjoy that. But so if this, House had talking robots, you would have been fine with it. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that. Uh, you went slow motion with the girl. Oh, yeah. okay, good point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, even the, even the nudity, I was at that point in time, I was like, I don't even care. I don't even care. <laughs> it made me shun nudity, and that's that's not a good thing. Well, let me ask you this: If if Quentin now this is this is the test, Brad, right? Oh man! If Quentin Tarantino had said that House is in his top ten films of all time, and in fact he was going to do a remake of it, would you then like it? Would I like the original? Yes. No, not at all. Oh wow! Not at all. It, but if you knew it was like Jesus favorite- Christ Himself could come down and say, "If you watch this film, you're automatically in." I would probably have to turn my back on it and say i'll take my chances oh my goodness yeah i ain't watching jc himself man ever again <laughs> ever again 
Oh my god. Are you going to give Criterion any more of your money or are you done with them now? Well, I don't have all of Akira Kurosawa's movies yet, so I guess I have to, but Okay. All right, all right, Kent, lay it on us. Final thoughts. Um, I have to say, after seeing the Criterion emblem at the beginning and then seeing that, I was a little shocked. <laughs> I didn't I didn't, I didn't expect it a little more. But uh That means there's hope for us. Like if we make a film, it this could is be true. Correct. Yeah, so Basically, well, we, hey, we have somebody with a, a degree to do that now. We should we should each make a third of a film, combine them without having any you know discussion with each other what it's about, and then submit that. Call it House Two, and it'll House probably two. make more sense, <laughs> regardless of what it's about. Um, Something tells me Brad's section would be um, I don't know all Tarantino-ish. <laughs> Tarantino-ish, it could it could work. Um, it. I don't know. It. I guess if you want to confuse the hell out of somebody, it'd be funny to watch it with them. <laughs> or maybe, maybe you know, if you're having a party or something, put it on in the background just to see people's reactions. That's always fun. But as far as the film itself, you know, I I think I'd have more entertainment out of seeing people's reactions than watching the film itself again. <clears throat> okay. Um, but that means I probably would watch it with someone just to to watch them. <laughs> Yeah, so I would sit through it again. You would say, okay, um, I could do it again. Yeah, yeah. This well, obviously, I like I said, I think I've seen it three times now. Uh, oh my god. Yeah, I just, but it's it to <laughs> <Brad's> me. <jealous. laughs> to me, it falls into that category that um, I, I I don't know what to make of it, and I'm I'm a sucker for, uh, you know, you take a director and they go out and do something very grand, or they're really going big. And when they fail or it's miserable or it's just a total catastrophe train wreck, those movies kind of fascinate me. Now, for me, House isn't one of those, but there's an element to House that I find extremely intriguing, and it is that, you know, what the fuck kind of element to it. Um, But, uh, you know, again, it's – I'm with you, Kent. I I do get some enjoyment out of people reacting to this film, but – would you would you ever recommend it to somebody to watch? Uh, if I knew a little bit about their film preferences, maybe I would. And and depending on the person, I might you know just blindly recommend it to them just to see what they told me after because I think they would come back you know slightly irritated <laughs> that I recommended it. Kind of like Brad. <laughs> so yeah, like like just to get a kick out of that. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, your reaction has been kind of fun tonight, Brad. Well, that would that would be my main. Uh, motivation behind recommending it okay i would be shocked if someone came back to me you know and you know found a lot of insight in the film or whatnot and tried to discuss it with me uh i do i'm kind of curious to read more about this i mean i did read the criterion linear notes about its release and the director and stuff but uh i i would be curious to see somebody tackle this the way that they tackled uh like argento's inferno you know that sure. did but uh hey I don't know. Hey, maybe in Mike's book, Straight Up Blatant, which you can order now from the aisle seat, um, you know, I'll be curious to see what his thoughts are on it. So, And I have to admit, if someone did remake this, I would go see it <laughs> just to see what the hell they did. Okay, which director? And don't say Tim um, Burton because that's oh, just too man. obvious. No, no, no. Uh, that's, uh, you're putting me on the spot with that. Uh, eh, it could go a few different ways, but I don't know that I would have a preference for that. But uh, who would you recommend for that? Um, gosh, I don't know. Nicholas Winding Refn from Drive and Bronson. 
That'd be interesting. Brad, do you? I don't care. He doesn't want to see it. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Even if Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> he's not in it. Okay. <laughs> if Tarantino wants to remake it. Yeah, if Tarantino wanted to remake it, I'd go see that. Yeah. I bet you Brad would too, though. Oh, yeah, I'd be first in line. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you guys know what time it is. It's time for uh, matchup time. Oh, wow. Let's do it. <laughs> Now I'm really angry. This is Fargan War. Okay. Brad, Kent, we've got in this corner from Italy, 1980s Inferno, directed by Dario Argento, directly across in the other corner from Japan, director Nobihiko Obayashi's 1977 house. You gotta pick one. (sighs) You have to. Um, we're going to start with our guest, Kent. Which All one right. is it? Um, well, <clears throat> after much deliberation, I'm going to have to burn Inferno and go with Hazu. Hazu? Any particular Hazu? reason why House over um, Inferno? Just, I could not get into Inferno. I just couldn't do it. And uh, like I said, I'd... Uh, basing on rewatchability, and I don't think either one is totally on its own. I wouldn't. I watched them both by myself, and uh, I would much rather watch House again, obviously with someone. But uh, that's what I'm basing it on. Okay, Brad. Now this is tough for you, Brad. Yeah. Well, I did say that Inferno was probably one of the worst. Or uh, House was one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and I said the same thing about House. But uh, House is. Uh, just awful. So by default, I have to pick Inferno because at least it's oh. kind of a movie. It's kind of a movie. <laughs> You're That's like, all I can. Why say. are you making me pick, Brad? <laughs> why can't you just go with the guest? It's kind of a movie, so I have to. You I just have go, to go with the guest, so whatever I pick, it doesn't matter. That's not fair, Brad. You didn't take one for the team. Let's see. Troy likes both of these more than we do. <laughs> <laughs> I do like them both more, but I guess the question is, which one do I like more? Um. I will say this real quick. I do own both movies. I own both movies on Blu-ray. And I want to plug um, the Inferno Blu-ray real quick because it is released by Arrow Video, which is a UK company. And if you happen to, if you do like Argento stuff, they're putting a whole line out on Blu-ray. And even though they're sold in the UK, they are Region A. But the thing about this Blu-ray is it comes with Disc 2 which is a whole documentary on Dario Argento called Dario Argento and I for Horror. That was released over here on DVD, but it's out of print. So um, it is a uh, disc 2 DVD that can only be pay, uh, played on PAL um, DVD players, so you'd need a you know converter. Uh, anything that you can get from Arrow Video on Blu-ray looks fantastic. And, I mean, it is loaded to the gills with special features and documentaries. And, uh, you know, there's a whole set on Mario Bava's involvement in this film, so... The Criterion one, obviously, it's very good for the presentation. And regardless of what you think about both films for being from 1977 to 1988, the transfer and the audio on both movies look like they were filmed yesterday. Fantastic. If I got to pick between the two, um, oh, goodness. Uh, Kent, I love you, but I'm going to go Inferno. Uh, That's all right. (laughs) Uh, I got to pick Dario. Um, I really, I, I hate saying this to both of you, but I enjoyed watching both um, 
only for that, you know, WTF factor. And uh, Inferno, to me, I think is a natural progression from Suspiria. And I do kind of happen to like um, what Argento's going for in that film. But, um, man, I, I'm kind of like you, Ken. I wouldn't show Inferno to people. If, if somebody were coming over and I had to choose between these two, if we were going to watch as a group, I'd pick House. Sure. And that makes sense. I haven't seen Suspiria, so I didn't have that to compare to. Well, Brad has, and, and he did. <laughs> and he still hates it. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Brad, you wanna you wanna drop the bomb as far as what we're talking about next week? That'll be the last week of Spooktober. Can you believe that? We're gonna be out of Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're and we're going mainstream too. Yeah, we're doing a big sequel time. Um, we're doing um, Halloween Two, um, which is a sequel to obviously Halloween. And we're not and doing we're the go- Rob Zombie Halloween Two. No, we're, we're doing, doing the good the good Halloween. The the sequel to Carpenters. Version. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, and then we're going to do Ringu 2, which we're doing the uh, Japanese version of. So we're going to have some foreign. And Are we doing the foreign version? That's right, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. we're kind of – I think the discussion was that, you know, Halloween is a major franchise for the U.S. And rather than look at the original Halloween, let's look at the sequel, you know, where it went on the second film. But we picked a major franchise for Japan – and Japan has uh, Ringu, Ringu 2, The Spiral, and Ring Zero, Birthday. And we wanted to look at the, the sequel to the original Ringu. So we're looking at a franchise from the U.S. and a franchise from Japan. Yeah, we're clever like that. We are. We're pretentiously clever. <laughs> um, well, hey, Kent, you, I, I got to tell you, for, for doing your debut on the podcast, you did quite well, man. Yeah, man, proud of you. Sure. Thank we're, you guys for having me. Yeah, you, you don't mind if we pick up the phone and call you again and have you back on in the future, do you? Uh, it, I'm going to have to confirm these titles up front. <laughs> 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 we won't, we won't uh, subject you to uh, uh, the weirdness of um, Inferno or House again. Oh, it was good. It will give me appreciation for the next uh, halfway normal movie I watch. Okay. Well, um, Brad, tell them where to find us, the website. Give, give them the rundown. All right, our website that we are hosted on is reboundradio.com. There's our show and a bunch of other shows. Uh, Troy does the regular version Mm -hmm. of Movie Matchup as well with our buddy Tall Charlie. Um, And I do a podcast with Charlie called Good Day, Sir. And we also have like eight other podcasts on our website. Um, Troy is our feature film reviewer, so you can see all of his uh, reviews up there. And actually uh, wanted to... um, Say you did a very good job on your Real Steel um, makeup review. Uh, that <laughs> film does not exist. And, um, yeah, um, I am on Twitter, as is uh, Troy. I am Inglorious Brad. Troy is Yin Chin Troy. Um, Kent, are you on Twitter? As, as anything like uh, no, not at the moment. I am not. Uh, okay. not tweeting. You're not uh, tweeting? Man, you got to tweet. I know. I'm resisting. <laughs> um I want to plug real quick, uh, again, Mike McGranahan, who is a <laughs> film critic for the Isle Seat website. Go to the aisleseat.com and uh, check out his new book, uh, Straight Up Blatant. Um, please look at the reviews on the Isle Seat, too. He's very funny. He's very astute. And um, he's been on Movie Matchup before. He was on the episode when we discussed Horrible Bosses versus 9 to 5, and it was a very good episode. 
but really, you know, I want to support his new book. Um, apparently it's a compilation of certain essays about films and genres and specific films. And if you want to hear more about House, obviously there's a section in there about that as well. So yes. Brad, I'll let you know what it's about. Okay. Um, I don't know. Anything else you guys want to talk about real quick before we head off? <clears throat> oh, what's our first uh, – what do we have kind of tentatively for November at all? I mean, I know we're uh, going to Horror Hound, so we're going to have a have a show from Horror Hound. I know we're going to try to do that. Yeah, we will be in Cincinnati November 11th through 13th, and um, we are going to be attending um, Horror Hound Weekend. Uh, we will see what comes out of that. You know, the thing with these types of conventions, obviously we're going to talk to other podcast personalities, maybe a couple of famous people. We're going to try and put some stuff together. Um, as far as November goes, nothing is set in stone. Brad and I are always toying around with the roadmap as far as what kind of matchups we are going to do. Um, I've even been talking with Kent this evening, uh, maybe kicking around a couple of ideas to possibly bring him back. Because uh, it's always fun to, to find somebody who studied film and uh, kind of get their perspective on it, especially being out in California. Because um, they're crazy out there. They're, they're, they're extra they're fancy wild. out there. Yeah, yeah. that's right. But uh, if anybody has any suggestions about what you'd like us to cover, Brad and I kind of have some favorites we want to tackle. We kind of like this um, kind of pick a month with a theme in it and continue. We're kicking around maybe some international gangster flavor for next month, but that's not decided. As always, send your maybe feedback, comments, or recommendations to us on Twitter or uh, moviematchup at gmail.com. And, uh, heck, if you want to be on the show, if you think you're an expert on something, <laughs> uh, send us an email. We'd love to have you. Uh, I'm all for making this as much of a listener participation as possible. And um, we're looking at uh, a possible guest for the next one, too. I don't, I don't know. We, we haven't decided whether or not it's just going to be the dynamic duo. We're going to bring a third person in. But, again, um, if you got a suggestion for us, please send an email. But anything else, gents? No, I think uh, no, I'm sir. done. Hate oh. my things for the evening. <laughs> Kent, I, I got to thank you once again for coming on the show. I know it's a different time zone for you. You're <laughs> yeah, no problem. It's early for me. Oh, that's true. That's true. I'll be looking for that lucrative compensation in the mail in a couple weeks. It, it's coming. It's on its way. It's on its way. Um, as always, I want to thank all of you for downloading the podcast. If you happen to do it through iTunes, please leave us a review. If you can, just a couple sentences about how much you love us. Greatly appreciate it. Helps feed our ego. Uh, anything else, Brad? No, I have a huge ego, so it needs a lot of feeding. So. That's true. That's true. Very good. Well, gents, uh, time to ride off into the sunset and uh, bid everybody a good evening. Uh, is that where I say goodbye? Yeah, that's where you say goodbye. Oh, okay, goodbye. Good, good evening. Good night. <laughs> See you, movie fans. Talk to you later.